You may be seated. I want to uh, quickly read through the sermon text for this evening. It is an ascension text, among other things, uh, from Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony." For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. We bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, on this ascension evening, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through and only through the blood of Christ our Savior and Lord. Amen. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reveal the facts of what Jesus did. He was born... He died, he rose, and ascended to heaven. The four Gospels give us those facts, very important facts. But the epistles of Paul and other books of the New Testament, including Revelation, reveal why those facts matter. The four Gospels gives us the facts about Jesus and the rest of the New Testament is really an inspired commentary on the four Gospels. And the rest of the books interpret those facts for us. 
For example, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts proclaim the fact of the ascension of our Lord. The book of Revelation reveals why the ascension is important. In addition, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts show us the ascension of Christ from an earthly perspective. Revelation shows us the ascension of Christ from heaven's perspective. So our sermon text on page 10, verse 1, and a great sign appeared in heaven. Now a great sign would be a sign associated with the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the plan of God from all eternity, that all humanity would be redeemed by Christ Jesus. And this, in Revelation 12, is a great sign of that saving work. Roman number one, page 11. The great sign appeared in heaven, letter A. The Lord's people are often symbolized as a woman, and we could say also as a mother, as a woman and even as a mother. For example, in Isaiah 54, verse 1, the prophet pictures God's people as a barren woman who will surprisingly have an abundance of children. Old Testament Israel is repeatedly referred to in the collective sense as God's wife, God's spouse, and the individual Israelites are often spoken of as his children. Verse 1 continued. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with, moon, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Letter B. The number 12 and multiples of the same are associated with the people of God repeatedly in the Scripture. For example, there are 12 sons of Jacob, right? And from those 12 sons, there are 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 apostles of Jesus. The church in Revelation chapter 7 is pictured as a great assembly of 144,000 people, which is a multiple of 12. Similarly, the sun, the moon, and the stars also represent the people of God in the Old Testament. In Genesis 37, for example, Joseph, the son of Jacob, dreams a dream in which the sun, the moon, and 11 stars all bow down to him. Now, the sun and the moon represent Joseph's father and mother, Jacob and Rachel. And the 11 stars represent Joseph's brothers. Now, collectively, that family really comprises all of the people of God on earth. That's the house, that's the church in Genesis chapter 37. In their day and age, they were the people of God. Representing, represented by the sun, the moon, and 11 stars. And let her see, this woman is ready to give birth. Verse two, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, for any number of reasons, 
Israel was in great anguish when Jesus was born. But chief among those reasons was the slaughter of the children in Bethlehem by King Herod. This is part of the great anguish that accompanied the birth of our Savior into the world, the great anguish that Israel, that Judea, experienced. Roman numeral two. We read that another sign appeared in heaven. Verse three, behold a great red dragon. And we're told later in the passage that the dragon symbolizes Satan, that's letter A. He symbolizes Satan. And letter B, diadems now were worn, in the ancient world, they were worn by kings claiming divinity. They claimed to be God. and That was true in ancient Persia, and also several of the Roman emperors uh, wore the diadem and insisted that everyone bow down and worship them as God. Verse 3 continued. With seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. Now seven is a number associated with God in the Bible. Ten is often associated with power. So the dragon represents God. He presents himself, I should say. He presents himself as God. And according to Luther, this is in line with the way the devil operates. The devil always acts as God's imitative ape, according to Luther. He apes God seeking to draw away humanity after him, even as he's previously drawn away many angels after him. And this is what verse 4 in our text refers to. His tail swept, da swept down a third of the stars, or angels of heaven, and cast them to the earth. So these, these fallen angels become what we would call the demons, the evil angels. And the dragon stood before the woman. Now, we're not told when that occurred, by the way, but it occurred in the past. I think it, it must have occurred before the fall into sin in Genesis 3, but it's, this is very ancient now. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but... Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So let her see. The dragon seeks to destroy the woman's child, but the woman's child ascends to God's throne, to the safety of God's throne. So, letter D, the dragon vents his wrath against the woman. She's left, okay. Or the church, we could say. The woman is the church, the believers, the family of God. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now this period of time is mentioned repeatedly in Revelation in different ways. It's mentioned in the book of Daniel in different ways, and it always refers to the same thing, whether it's 1,260 days, or whether it is 42 months, or whether it's three and a half years, same period of time. It always symbolizes 
a period of persecution for the people of God. And I think it stems back not, not only to the book of Daniel, but also to the history of what we call Hanukkah and the cleansing of the temple. The temple in Jerusalem, this is before the birth of Christ now, the temple had been, Jerusalem had been overrun by the Seleucid king Antiochus Epiphanes. He proclaimed himself to be God, the manifestation of God on earth. And he desecrated the temple, and the temple lay in ruins, really, I mean, in terms of uh, worship, in terms of usefulness for, uh, for the ritual that God had commanded, it was useless. It was, uh, run, it was overrun by Gentiles for three and one half years, or 1260 days, or 42 months. You can use any one of those uh, figures. They all represent that period of persecution of, the, of God's people. Now what follows in our sermon text reveals the effect of Christ's ascension on heaven. Roman number three, war arose in heaven. Verse seven of our text. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So letter A in the outline. Devil means slanderer, slanderer. And Satan means accuser. So before Christ ascended to heaven, the devil functioned as Humanity's prosecuting attorney, in a sense, in a very real sense, and our text makes that clear. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. You see, there it is, there's his in a sense, his heavenly job description. Apparently, Satan took it upon himself to accuse us before God, and I think with good reason. Satan may be the father of lies, but he doesn't have to lie very much when it comes to our sins. He would remind God of our sins, and we stood guilty as charged. But Jesus ascends to heaven as our advocate for our defense. And when Christ enters heaven, Satan is cast out of heaven. He loses his position as humanity's accuser because as the Apostle Paul has written in the book of Romans, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Think of Christ there, the blood of the Lamb. Letter B, he, meaning Satan, is defeated and cast out of heaven by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I think many of us are familiar with the term pink slip. You may not know the derivation of it, though. Uh, it goes back to a time when uh, carbon copies were made of, of documents, and back before laser printers and that sort of thing. And so you had a document here in triplicate. It's a note of dismissal, 
And the employee that's being dismissed received the pink copy of that. So that, that is the derivation of the term pink slip. It is a termination notice, a certificate of dismissal. You're out of here, in other words. So when Christ, our defense attorney, enters heaven, having shed his blood on our behalf, Satan receives his pink slip. He can no longer accuse us because we have been forgiven by Christ's death in our place. Letter C. Christ's death now has turned all of Satan's true accusations into lies. The truth of our sin becomes a lie by the power of Christ and his shed blood on our behalf. Those sins no longer belong to us. He's taken them upon himself. And so, Roman numeral four, heaven determines earth. My friends, what happens in heaven determines what happens on earth. And you may recall this from the book of Job. You know, God asserts before the devil They're having a conversation, and God asserts that Job is faithful, but Satan disagrees. Satan wants to afflict Job to show that Job doesn't really love God. He only loves what God can give him. And you take away God, take away what you've given him, and he will curse you to your face. You'll see. So Satan attacks Job, and Job loses everything, as you know. Job doesn't understand why he's suddenly so afflicted, but the reader understands, you and I understand, there's a heavenly conflict taking place between God and Satan. And that heavenly conflict, you see, is spilling over into Job's life. What happened to Job on earth was the result of what was happening in heaven. My friends, the same is true for us as well. We experience the opposition of the world. We experience hardship in this life, often with no apparent reason, and we wonder why. Revelation 12, along with the book of Job, reveal why. We are in the midst of a war, a conflict that has its origin in heaven, but it spills over into your life and into mine. It reminds me of geopolitics and how for so long during the Cold War, and even today, there's this power struggle between America and the former Soviet Union, the Russian Federation, whatever you want to call it now, or between America and uh, communist China. But it's not limited to them and to us. It spills over into other countries, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's Afghanistan or Angola, Vietnam or Korea. It spills over. And our struggle in this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the Chinese communists or the Russians or anyone else on this planet. It's against those spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenly realms who seek to draw us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our job in this struggle is to remain faithful to the Lord, even though it may involve the loss of everything for his sake, as did Job and many of God's people down through the ages 
experience. So I would leave you with this thought. As the writer of Hebrews implores us, consider Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My friends, this world and all of its so-called glory is passing away. You know that. I know that. All the earthly things we treasure will be taken from us. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. But those who belong to Christ are promised an inheritance which can never perish, spoil, or fade. It is kept in heaven for you. Therefore, being faithful to Christ, I would rather lose what I cannot keep in order to gain what I cannot lose. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.